As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter 1. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy-to-read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Do you want to be more confident in your faith? Well, I've got a show for you right here that will definitely help. Unapologetic, it's bite-sized shows and conversations every week to help you in your journey. I'm Justin Briley. I head up the Theology and Apologetics Ministry for Premier Unbelievable. It includes this show. Do let others know about it. Rate and review us in your podcast provider. It helps others to discover it as well. Well, today I'm talking to legendary apologist Lee Strobel. He rose to prominence, of course, for The Case for Christ, the book about his search as an atheist journalist for the truth about Jesus and the resurrection, a journey that eventually led him to faith. And since then, Lee has published many more journalistic-style Case for books, his most recent being The Case for Heaven, which, as you'll hear, has recently been turned into a video documentary at thecaseforheavenmovie.com. You can find a link to the movie with the show notes and, of course, links to our own website, Premier Unbelievable. You can subscribe there for more updates, for bonus content, and you can even support us so we can bring you more conversations like this. So for now, enjoy this conversation with Lee Strobel on the soul, near-death experiences, and the case for heaven. Tell us, Lee, about uh, The Case for Heaven. It already exists as a book. Now it's coming out as a movie. Um, it actually begins with yourself and the fact that you experienced a kind of a, a, a death-like moment, didn't you? Tell us about that yeah. and how that was an inspiration for this. Yeah, I, I kind of call it a brush with death. Uh, my wife found me unconscious on the bedroom floor. She called an ambulance. I remember waking up in the emergency room and the doctor looked down at me and said, you're one step away from a coma, two steps away from dying. And then I went unconscious again. Um, I had an unusual medical condition called hyponatremia, which is a severe drop in blood sodium levels. And um, I was at a level where I I could not sustain life. And uh, so I hovered between life and death for quite a while until the doctors were able to save me in a very delicate uh, procedure. Um, uh, and, and, And what I learned about coming close to death like that is it's a very clarifying experience. I mean, it, I mean, things become very sharp at that moment. I mean, there's nothing more important than what happens when you close your eyes for the last time in this world. And, um, and so I, as a Christian, I believe what the Bible teaches about the afterlife, but I've still got this skeptical gear, this background in journalism and law. And, and so I, I thought, well, you know, how much do science and how much does philosophy and history and so forth, how, how, how do other disciplines uh, interface with the biblical claims and either support them or, or, or conflict with them? 
And that's that was the genesis of uh, starting the research on the case for heaven. Yeah, and it's it's a really interesting book done done in that usual journalistic style that you bring to the the case for books throughout. Um, you talk to a whole range of people, both skeptics and people who are convinced that there's a sort of supernatural dimension to life. Um, t- tell us about sort of how this translated into being a film, though, because it's one thing to write a book. It's another to write a film. Tell, tell us a bit about the, the relationship you've got with the director and so on and, and how that all came together. Yeah, you know, uh, some people will love to pick up a 300-page book and enjoy reading a book. Other people respond through cinema, and I think cinema is the language of young people. And so I wanted to reach as many people as we could, and um, I have a friendship with Manny Sandoval, who is uh, uh, from a Guatemalan immigrant family in the U.S. Uh, His father was a pastor of a small church, lived in poverty his whole life, Uh, but then uh, he and his brother started a marketing company in Phoenix, Arizona, and began to uh, dabble in, in film. And um, he got excited about the idea of doing a movie. And I said, well, you know, if you want to do it, let's let's go for it. And he brought um, uh, his expertise to it. And um, it kind of has a, a little bit of a Latin American flair to it, uh, some of the people interviewed and so forth. And uh, we've had quite a bit of interest in Latin America in terms of um, uh, people wanting to see the film. So it's just a different experience. You know, uh, yeah, the book yeah. is one experience. It's deeper. It's richer. It's more textured. Um, it's hard to do apologetics in a movie <laughs> that's interesting and entertaining. Uh, and yet I think he does a good job of translating some of these concepts into um, into that format. Yeah, and and it's certainly not your arid kind of talking heads movie. It's yeah. it's, it's very kind of in. It's very engaging, isn't it? It's very colourful. You You're say. right. When when you say documentary, uh, some people will think, oh, you know, sixteen millimeter grainy film, black and white, <laughs> talking heads. It's a beautiful movie. Uh, the cinematography is breathtaking. Um, that's why I hope people get to see it on the big screen because um, you'll really get that sense. Uh, but um, um, so I, I think the storytelling of a film is quite compelling and can bring the reader along or the viewer along in a way that um, that is entertaining, but also informative. So um, we're happy with how it turned out. It was, yeah. by the way, it was totally unscripted. Um, <laughs> I never knew what he was going to ask. It's all off the cuff. Um, <laughs> I wish I could go back and, and do a few of the interviews <laughs> over again. But he he would surprise me with these questions, and, and uh, we just went with it as best we could. Great, great. Um, I mean, if people want to check it out and the trailer and to see, you know, what, what the opportunities are to see it, to download it, to watch it, um, the caseforheavenmovie.com is the place to go for that. Right. Um, I mean, obviously, you draw on a lot of what the research you did in the, in the book itself. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe we could maybe sketch out three key things that you maybe discovered yeah. in the course of doing that, Lee. Um, yeah. I'm particularly, I suppose, interested in the kind of evidence that is available to everyone, skeptical or believer, uh, when it comes to uh, things like, you know, I know you cover things like near-death experiences. Right. You talk about the latest sort of science of uh, uh, consciousness and, yes. and what that's telling us. What was So tell us maybe about two or three key areas where you think there's a really interesting conversation going on about the idea that actually we don't expire when yeah. we die, that there is a kind of continuing consciousness. Well, so three issues. First would be uh, the existence of the soul. Uh, Do we have an immaterial dimension to us? Uh, Do we have a consciousness, a soul, a spirit? I know you've dealt with that in a lot of programs on your uh, unbelievable, in a very effective way in having people debate this issue. It's a very hot topic. Uh, So I interviewed Dr. Sharon Dierichs uh, with a PhD from Cambridge, who's a neuroscientist. and has written a book called Am I Just My Brain? 
And uh, she takes a position that, uh, indeed, we, um, we are a hyphenated creature, so to speak. We are a body and a spirit, a mind, a consciousness. And then the question is, can that consciousness survive our physical death? And uh, I was a skeptic about near-death experiences. I thought, okay, these are probably um, either made up or they're just an example of oxygen deprivation to the brain causing hallucinations or something like that. But I found there have been 900 scholarly articles written about near-death experiences in, secular, in scientific and medical journals over the last 50 years. It's a very well-researched area. And interestingly, The Lancet, the famous medical journal in the U.K., uh, carried an analysis of near-death experiences that concluded that none of the alternative explanations can account for this phenomenon. Um, and so what I look for were cases where we have corroboration. That is, people who saw things or heard things or experienced things during their out-of-body experience. It would have been impossible for them to know or see or hear uh, if this wasn't authentic. And so the famous case of Maria, who died in the hospital of a heart attack, and yet she said later, I was conscious the whole time. My spirit um, detached from my body, which is what the Bible talks about. And um, I watched the resuscitation efforts on my body. Then my spirit f floated out of the hospital, up and out of the hospital. And when she was revived, she said, oh, by the way, there's a man's shoe on the roof of the hospital. It's left-footed. It's dark blue. Uh, there's some wear over the little toe, and the shoelace is tucked under the heel. And they go up in the roof of the hospital and they find it just as she had described it. Uh, that's the kind of corroboration I was looking for. Mm -hmm. And I found mm -hmm. multiple cases of corroboration, including the case of Vicki Umapeg, who was blind virtually since birth. And yet during her near-death experience, she could see for the first time. She, she saw people trying to revive her body. She saw plants. She saw birds. And then when she was revived... Uh, her her blindness returned. Her eyesight disappeared. As one medical researcher said, this is impossible. Um, and I interviewed, interestingly, John Burke, who's a uh, pastor of a Christian church in Austin, Texas, who has researched a thousand near-death experiences over 30 years. And his conclusion is, if you look at the core of what takes place in a typical near-death experience, not how people interpret it, because people interpret it through their own religious or cultural mm. lens. But if you look at what mm. actually takes place, it is consistent with Christian theology. And he wrote a book called Imagine Heaven, where he backs that up first verse by verse. And then the third area I looked at was the, re the uh, resurrection of Jesus. Because if Jesus truly died and was resurrected on the third day, he, he, we ought to listen to what he says about the afterlife. Because first of all, he, he experienced it. But secondly, it confirms his identity of being the Son of God. Therefore, we ought to take seriously what he says about the afterlife. And so I look at uh, what is the evidence that indeed he did conquer the grave, which I believe is powerful and persuasive, and, um, um, and then what he says about what the afterlife is like. So those are kind of three areas that uh, the film touches on and I touch on in the book, as well as some other things. I mean, all, all of them could be a show in themselves, yes. as you know, Lee. But, but um, when it comes to near-death experiences, yeah. I, I mean, I think some people kind of regard that as a rather kooky area, you know, a very yeah. subjective. Um, and I think that's partly because there has been, sadly enough, some some particular instances of Christian published books that's which right. have turned out to be in some way false or right. simply, you know, over, overblown and so on. Yeah. So so people, I think, approach this with caution, don't yes. they? So what, what do you say to those particular cases which don't seem to point in the direction of, of something true? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's why I was cautious about it as well. And yet um, Christian, well-regarded evangelical Christian philosophers like uh, J.P. Moreland and Gary Habermas have been 
been writing about these things since uh, 1994, I think, when they did their book, mm. Immortality. Um, so I think it's an area worthy of research. And the key to me is those cases where we do have this kind of corroboration. Um, because people have made up stories. And um, so I wasn't interested if someone says, oh, I died, I met Jesus, he's five foot ten. he's a nice guy. I don't know if that's true. I can't corroborate that. But when somebody, uh, for instance, one woman who died um, in the aftermath of an abortion um, and uh, later was uh, came back, was revived, she said, oh, by the way, on the ceiling fan in the emergency room of the hospital, on the top of the blade, there's a red sticker. No way she could have seen that from where she was in the mm. hospital room. Mm. They got a ladder, they went up, and they looked, and sure enough, there it was exactly as she had said, because her spirit had separated, and she was mm. um, looking at from that unusual vantage point. So, you know, the Bible talks about um, this intermediate state. Um, the, mm. the Apostle mm. Paul said to be absent from the body, to be present with the Lord. Jesus said to the repentant criminal on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise, which suggests that there's two aspects to the Christian afterlife. One is the intermediate state, which is when we die, our soul separates from our body. Um, we either go into the presence of the Lord, if we're followers of Christ, or we're separated from him. And then the second phase comes at the consummation of history, when Jesus returns, when we're reunited with our now resurrected bodies, uh, when we uh, go through final judgment and then spend eternity in a very physical place, whether heaven or hell. Uh, so these near-death experiences uh, tend to be confirming of this idea that our spirit, our soul, separates. Now, it is important to remember that these people who have near-death experiences are not irreversibly dead. They're clinically dead. Some of them are on the way to the morgue. They've been, they've been declared dead. <laughs> this one woman woke up on the way to the morgue, and, and when they questioned her, she was able to describe the conversations that happened um, in the emergency room after she had passed. Um, um, so they're clinically dead. They have zero brain waves. They have uh, one woman had every drop of blood drained from her head um, for in preparation for some highly unusual surgery. And yet she had these experiences and saw these things that, that, were con mm. uh, that she could confirm. Um, mm. so, but they're not irreversibly dead. They're coming back. So that's something we have to keep in mind in these yeah. cases. Uh, one of the most fascinating cases was a seven-year-old girl named Katie who uh, was found face down in a YMCA swimming pool. She had drowned. Her brain had massive swelling. She had zero brain waves. She was declared dead. Her, uh, she had no breathing for uh, 20 minutes. I, I, I mean, no uh, heartbeat for 20 minutes. Uh, now, ultimately, she did survive. Um, but during that period where they were keeping her body alive, just trying to figure out what to do, she said, I was conscious the whole time. And, and the doctors were very skeptical. So they said, well, okay, how about this? She's seven years old. We, we gave her some crayons and a piece of paper and said, why don't you draw for us the emergency room where you were taken when you were unconscious when you were and she was able to place everything in that drawing uh, uh, the way it is in the emergency room and then she said one night um, while my body was being kept alive in the hospital and my parents visited me I followed my parents home and she was able to describe what they had for dinner that night um, what her brother played with on the on his bedroom floor, what toys he was playing with, what song her sister was singing to her Barbie doll that she was combing its hair, uh, where her father was uh, sitting um, in the living room, and, and what clothing they were wearing, all of which checked out. 
In fact, one study of nearly a, a, a hundred near-death experiences where people made these kind of verifiable observations, a remarkable 92% were absolutely accurate. Another 6% were almost perfectly accurate. So that's a 98% accuracy rate. It's, 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 so this is really yeah. significant stuff that I believe deserves further investigation. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. It, it, it is fascinating stuff. I, I suppose the, the question that immediately leaps to mind is, is um, you know, to, to what it, how you do map that onto the biblical account, yeah. the Christian account of, of what it is, the afterlife, because I think Christians are a bit wary of saying there's there's lots of souls floating about us and there's kind of ghostly yeah. kind of, you know, pe- people and so on, even though you do get, you know, absolutely orthodox Christian people who would say, I, I had the sense when my mother died of something happening, you know, her spirit in some way being released uh, or being taken to heaven or, or whatever it yeah. is. I mean, how do you map the, these kind of extraordinary stories that appear to have this verifiable aspect to them onto the fact that obviously we do believe uh, in Christian thought that, that, that the soul, as it were, goes to be with Jesus? How, how do you kind of, uh, you know, reconcile the fact that it seems to be able to be doing things and seeing things in, in the, that are still going on in, in that moment. Yeah, I think the fact that these are reversible cases of death, in other words, these people are coming back, they're not irreversible, perhaps we're dealing mm-hmm. with something that's not quite exactly uh, what the Bible's talking about, um, it, it, you know, in terms of being immediately in the presence of God, it seems to suggest Paul's comment, uh, so uh, and, and Jesus' comment. So um, there is some ambiguity there in terms of, of what mm. this represents. However, I think at a minimum, and I, I take a minimalist approach. I, I don't base my theology on near-death experiences. <laughs> um, but I take a minimalist approach, which is to say that I believe the um, corroborated cases of near-death experiences do establish beyond a reasonable doubt that our consciousness, our spirit, our soul does survive for a period of time after our clinical death. I think that can be said with, with strong confidence. Now, um, and I, I think that it's consistent with Christian theology. I think what you sometimes get, interestingly, is people who have an experience like this who view it through a different lens and interpret it differently. Um, also, 23% of the cases uh, are not positive cases. They're, they're horrific cases. They're horrible cases. Mm. They're cases where people mm. experience uh, tremendous trauma. Uh, I think of Howard Storm, who we interview in the film. Uh, Howard Storm was an atheist. He was an art professor and a chairman of the art department at a secular university, tenured position. He died in a hospital. Um, he was lured away by some friendly folks who then turned on him and began to attack him physically. They, they, they ripped him apart. He said, I was roadkill. He said, he said, no horror film can begin to approach the horrific nature of this assault that he was experiencing from these apparent demons or something. And uh, he called out to Jesus in the midst of that, and, and Jesus rescued him from that. This was so real to him, so life-changing, that when he did um, was revived, he not only renounced his atheism, he not only resigned his tenured position at the university, he not only became a Christian, but he became a, um, um, uh, an ordained minister and is now pastor of a small church in a town of 20,000 people in Kentucky. Um, it changed his life forever. Um, these are real, real experiences. The other thing that's interesting is John Burke, in his research for his book, and I say, as I say, I interviewed him for my book and for the movie, um, really focused on people who had a lot to lose 
by claiming they had near-death experiences. These are not people who've written books. These are not people who've profited mm. from it. These are airline pilots. These are bank presidents. These are business executives who have a lot to lose because people think, you go, are you a little crazy? <laughs> you really think this happened? Um, and, 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 and so I, I think that adds a little bit of more credibility than mm. people who go out and mm. write a best-selling mm. book about things that are unver- yeah. unverified. Just as we as we close the interview, and again, I do urge anyone watching or listening to go and check out the movie itself. Uh, the website again is thecaseforheavenmovie.com. dot um, com. How how do you tend, and how would you encourage Christians to use this kind of um, apologetic mm. when it comes to engaging with friends who may be skeptical? Um, I think the advantage, in a way, is that unlike some subjects. Lots of people at least have an opinion about heaven, yeah. don't they? You know, it's kind of it's very still current in our current culture. Yes. Uh, and in fact, many people kind of just assume that there is a heaven or there, there's some kind of afterlife, even if they only have a very vague notion of what that might mean. So wh- where would you advise people to begin with when it comes to using this to to begin a conversation on faith with someone that ultimately leads them not just to, you know, s- some sort of uh, mystical view of heaven, yeah. but to, to Jesus Christ himself? Well, I really do believe that in light of the pandemic, which has gripped the globe over the last couple of years, um, uh, this is a more relevant topic than ever, that getting into a conversation with a non-believer about death and, and the afterlife is very easy this these days my wife and i were at a restaurant and um, the waitress a young woman named cameron um all of a sudden began to cry and we said what's wrong and she said oh i'm so sorry i almost didn't come into work today we just lost a family member to COVID." and i thought here's a young woman 18 years old or so and never thought about death before why should she she's got her whole life ahead of her Mm. but now death has come knocking on her family's door and you could see the anxiety and the apprehension and in her eyes and and so i think you know in america 29 percent of people know someone who's died during the pandemic um i lost my brother uh my older brother uh in the pandemic And, and so i think people are more more curious than ever about the afterlife. And that makes it easy to get into a conversation, to invite them to see the movie, to give them the book. It's a com- it's a starting ground for people. And everything in my book, everything in my apologetic points toward, ultimately, uh, the teachings of Scripture. And I have two chapters on hell. I don't shy away. I deal with annihilationism. Wow. Mm-hmm. I deal with universalism. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I deal with the possibility of post-mortem conversion. Um, so I, I, de- I delve into those areas as well. I, I have a chapter on reincarnation that looks at, you know, why don't I believe in reincarnation? Um, so I think these are issues that are especially relevant these days and, and especially easy for Christians to get into conversations with people. And as you said earlier, Justin, I think it is true that people are, are curious about near-death experiences. I've had two instances, this is interesting, two instances where I've been interviewed by secular journalists um, about the movie and as an aside later, they tell me, oh, yeah, my dad had a near-death experience exactly like that. And I was, I was really amazed at uh, the, the number of I mean, there are literally, statistically speaking, millions of people around the world who've had these kind of near-death experiences. So, there, you know, a lot of people have a connection with that. I think um, the important thing, the key thing to me is the degree to which these near-death experiences are consistent and corroborative of what the Bible teaches. Thank you so much for your time today, Lee. Um, and again, I encourage you, if you're, if you're watching, listening, uh, go watch the movie, go read the book. It's called The Case for Heaven. Can I, can I just say, Justin, I really appreciate what you are doing. You, your ministry oh, and, you. and what you do there with Unbelievable and your podcasts and shows and so forth. 
it's just it's cutting edge it's so important and i am a big fan of you and what you're doing so thank you for your uh, creativity and your persistence in pursuing truth god bless you thank you very much Lee, for being with us thank you Hey, thanks for being with us. Again, you can find links to The Case for Heaven with today's show, as well as our own website, premierunbelievable.com. Registering there gets you a free ebook, bonus content, and much more, and we'd welcome your support too. And if you can rate and review today's show on your podcast provider, it'll help others to discover us. Well, next time you can hear about some amazing recent archaeology that appears to confirm the historicity of the Old Testament in some pretty remarkable ways. See you then for that. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.